you're here this morning. My name's Aaron, and I am the pastor here. And uh, it's crazy. Uh, in, in about a month, it'll be six years that I've been here, which is nuts. And uh, I just love it here. And uh, this morning, I believe that God has something amazing he wants to do something he wants you to hear. Before we dive into the message, though, uh, if you'll grab out something that's called a connection card, it would have been in the bulletin that someone handed you as you walked in. We'd love everyone to take like 30 seconds real quick uh, and fill this out. Uh, and don't worry, there's just like minor details in there, like social security number, blood type, uh, credit card, you know, all that sort of stuff. Just kidding. Uh, but fill this out. Let us know on the back. Maybe there's a way that we could be praying with you. Maybe you want to serve in a certain capacity. Maybe you decide you want to make a... Uh, uh, commitment to Jesus, or maybe you want to learn more about baptism. Uh, kind of cool. We have two baptisms today, uh, which I'm really excited about, and we're going to have one more at the end of this month because of some date conflict. So if you're like, ooh, I want to get baptized, uh, it's okay. We can deal with that. Heck, we actually probably have some shorts around here if you want to talk to me uh, afterwards, but we're going to be going outside at the end of the service for this. Anyways, after you're done filling this out, there's different baskets at the different exits. You can put it there, but if this is your first time here or you've never filled one of these out and turned one in, what we'd love for you to do is go out the double doors after service. You'll have time before the baptism. I promise you won't miss it. And uh, go to the Connection Center, which is the desk that's out there. It's labeled Connection Center. Uh, and give this to a smiling person who is there. We have a gift for you, and uh, we'd love for you to grab it. I'm not even going to tell you what the gift is, but it's really great. It is, uh, it is hands down better than a year's supply of jelly beans. Okay, that might be a lie because a year's supply of jelly beans would be really great. Uh, but either way, take it there, find out what the gift is, and uh, we just love the chance to connect with you a little bit more. Well, I am incredibly excited because uh, today we're kicking off a brand new series here at South Creek. If uh, you have never, this is your first Sunday or first time in a while, it's a great Sunday uh, to be here. And uh, we're kicking off this new series called Water. And it's all about this idea of the stories of Jesus, who is the living water. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means this morning, but this is kind of coinciding with our uh, VBS, our Vacation Bible School, that is going to be happening pretty soon here. And uh, we purposely chose to name it Water rather than Drenched, because I didn't want anyone to come this morning thinking it was going to be VBS and be disappointed when they found me. Um, but what's cool, for those of you who are parents or grandparents, is the, the, the stories that we're going to be looking at in Scripture that have to do with water over the next couple weeks here in the big room, uh, is what your kids are going to be learning about during uh, their vacation Bible school week. So the cool thing is our hope is that you're going to be having like a preview of what's going to happen, and you're going to be able to have some great conversations with your kids about that. In June of 1964, in Florida, during the height of the Civil Rights Movement, of Jim Crow laws, Jim Crow laws which prohibited people of color oftentimes to experience basic human rights. It separated one group of people from another. It took one group of people and put them below what God would want for them. In Genesis, we just got done with this series from the book of Genesis. And in it, at the very beginning of the whole book, of the whole Bible, we find out that every single person, every single one of us, you, me, your enemy, your best friend, Michael Jordan, obviously, uh, created in the image of God. There's something intrinsically beautiful, something amazingly invaluable about each and every one of us, surely because we were created in the image of God. We were created to be in relationship with God, and we are deeply loved by God. 
And so each one of us are image bearers. And each one of us deserve that dignity, that value. And yet when we go back into this time in our country where there are these things like Jim Crow laws going on, we live in a time in a world then where people are not treated as people who are created in the image of God. They're treated as lesser. And it was in 1964 that we find a hotel manager who, because of a protest going on, decides to pour acid into a pool. And their sheer terror, there's going to be a picture up here in just a second, their sheer terror on the face of those who are in the water. Their sheer terror as there is just this low moment in our history. This low moment of where people are treated so much lesser than how God saw them. So much lesser. And we know about people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We know about lots of people who fought some of these injustices. But one of my favorite stories of fighting injustice, one of my favorite stories of of recognizing when you have an opportunity, you have a platform to cross a line, to move past barriers that our culture, that our society says should be there, that are pure evil. A Presbyterian minister in Pittsburgh who happened to have a public access children's show, a guy named Fred Rogers, maybe some of you have heard him before, had a huge moment. When he started his show, he had a huge moment by having a police officer named Officer Clemens, who was the very first uh, African-American recurring character in a children's show. First one ever. That in itself was just mind-blowing at that time. But even more so, he decided after seeing what had been happening in these places where there were silly prejudices that were happening with things like people can't even be in the same pool, he decided one day to do an act that has just seemed so simple. I think most of our children today, thankfully, if they were to see this, would be like, what's the big deal? Which is really good because we've come a long way. Now, we have many more steps to go, but we've come a long way. Decided that he, as on a hot day, would cool off his feet in a pool and that he would invite Officer Clemens to sit with him. Now, this is actually a photo of when they recreated it uh, about 25 years after the original one. Uh, The other pictures were just way too grainy. But it was this subtle, beautiful moment where a man who came from the right side of society at that time of the place of power and privilege, decided to throw away all the rules, all of the systems that were in place, and said, no, you will sit with me. You will have your feet cooled just the same as me. And it's this beautiful moment that began to diffuse some of the tension to diffuse some of what was happening. And of course there was so much work to, it's not like everything just, you know, beautifully, magically came about. But I think it's such a cool moment. This morning I want to tell you a story from the Gospel of John in which Jesus did something uh, very similar. Uh, arguably probably a little bit more uh, of a big deal because he's Jesus and Mr. Rogers is just Mr. Rogers. But this series, Water, Water shows up over 700 times in Scripture. Water is obviously a basic element, a basic need in life. Water sustains us. Water is something that we have to have to live. Water helps 
Things grow. It helps uh, have the opportunity to harness energy. Water is this beautiful gift from God. And so this morning, I want to read this story from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And if you have a Bible, you can open up there to starting in verse 1. And uh, we're going to read through verse 26. I promise it won't, it, it sounds long. It's not that long. Uh, but I'd love for you, before we read this story, to maybe go ahead and check something out of our brain, okay? I don't know about you, but the older I get, I realize I don't have that much room up here anymore. Maybe I never, maybe I have a smaller mouth than most anyways. Um, no one say amen, please. Um, but... Sometimes when we read scripture, it's hard for us to get the full context uh, because we have a different sort of worldview than what the original readers were. And so we're going to read this story that is oftentimes referred to as the woman at the well or, or the Samaritan woman. And when I say Samaritan, most of us already have our idea in our mind, right? In our culture, our time, Samaritans are good people, right? They, they help people. They, they, they fix flat tires. They send shoeboxes to kids all around the world. Samaritan, for us, is a great word. We think of like the best people. Every one of us probably would be like, I would love if my child or my grandchild would be called a good Samaritan. What we need to do, though, this morning to really get the effect of this story is we need to set that aside. And we need to think like we are a good Jew back in ancient culture. And in that time, if you were a good Jew, the Samaritans were kind of your enemies. You see, what happened is there was this time period called a, a exile where, where the Jewish people were taken and they were, they were sent off to a foreign land. And some remained, but most of them were taken off. And the Samaritans basically became these people who stayed around, who kind of tried to change up some of the, 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 the Jewish faith, and they also intermarried with all sorts of different people. And so the Jewish people saw them uh, as, as not the same. They saw them as sort of, if you've ever watched Harry Potter, they were like the mud bloods. like they were not good they were they were posers it was not good and they were enemies so this morning as we read this we have to read it from the vantage point we have to understand from the vantage point that this is sort of a shocking story based off just the fact that she is a samaritan woman and she's a woman too and that jesus is this jewish man all right let's read this together and then we're going to talk about this story now He, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakur. And near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired as he was, he was tired from his journey. And so he sat down by the well. It was about noon. Let's pause there for just a second. This is significant. Sometimes when we read these things, we're like noon, whatever. Why does that matter? Noon, one of the hottest parts of the day. In ancient culture, it would be a normal thing for women in particular to have to go to a well to retrieve water if they didn't live right next to a certain uh, body of water. Now, if you had to carry lots of heavy buckets of water, when would you go? Would you go during a hot time during the day, or would you more likely go when it's cooler, either in the morning or in the afternoon? Most of us, I would say, probably would be wise enough to say, I'm going when it's cooler. And so it's significant that It's later at a time when virtually no one would want to be there. Then, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples were gone. They had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank it, drank from it himself and also did his sons and his livestock? You. Uh, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw the water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, said the woman, I can see that you are a prophet. Your ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the worshiper, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, what a story. Let's, let's talk about this story and let's unpack this story a little bit, okay? So like I said, it's significant. It's noon. It's, it's at a later time. This woman comes to this well at this time of the day when no one would normally be there. We learn that this woman, while we know nothing about her, her, her story, we know obviously has had an interesting life. She's been married five times and she's living with a man who is not her husband at the moment. Now, when we read that, we have no idea whether or not it means uh, that this woman has uh, been constantly put through a ringer of bad relationships or if this woman uh, made poor decisions herself or if it's some sort of combination. But all we can probably tell is that this woman probably carried deep shame, that this woman probably came at that hour because her hope was that I hope I don't run into anybody. I don't want to run into anyone and have them give me those looks. I don't want to hear those, those, those comments or hear that laughter. I just want to be alone. And this woman comes and we find Jesus who decides that one, obviously the dude is just legit thirsty, but two wants to have a moment, wants to have this moment. Now, again, uh, we're not going to get into the debate over all of, we're not going to talk necessarily about boundaries this morning. Uh, that's not what this is about. But even in that time, it was very, very rare. It was not kosher that there would be this man and this woman alone for lots of reason, for, for potential gossip, for, for uh, being falsely accused, for all sorts of things. And then also you throw in the, the fact that you have 
two different people groups who are enemies. And even this woman recognizes that and asks a lot of questions. And yet we see through Jesus' interactions that he wants this to be a moment to teach us. He wanted the people in that moment to understand, and I think he wants us to understand today, that we shouldn't care so much about barriers. We shouldn't care so much about what has been constructed in society. It's interesting how Jesus decides that he is going to love all people at all times, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the scenarios. We realize that he doesn't have to stop and think, man, can I love this person? You know, I don't, I don't know about you, and I'm not poking fun. I do this myself. But there are moments, and I'm, I'm actually ashamed to say this, but as a follower of Jesus, where I, I actually stop and have to decide, can I love this person right now? And I know that probably sounds really silly, but there's times where there's so much of me that gets too caught up in the weeds about, well, if I, if I show love to this person, will people say I'm this way? If I show kindness and grace to this type of person, Will I be labeled as someone who doesn't take the word seriously? Will I be labeled as being too liberal? Or if I don't love in a certain way, will I be labeled as too conservative? There's all of these labels that are put out. And the sad reality, my friends, is that even as followers of Jesus, we we sang earlier about this identity of who we are, but so many of us oftentimes still take other identities that we want to be in the same level or even higher as follower of Jesus. And the reality is follower of Jesus does not fit neatly into any political party. It doesn't fit neatly into any sort of societal standards. It's a beautiful kingdom that is about love. It's about reconciliation. And so in Jesus, we see this beautiful crossing over a barrier. And the reality is we should too. You know, if I could ask us a couple questions this morning about some of this, because I'm a person who processes sometimes through questions. Maybe you're like me. Is I wonder if we allowed our culture and our privilege to inform us too much of our attitudes and actions. And I'm saying that to myself. I'm wondering too often if, if I don't love in the way that Jesus loves because I'm too worried about what other people will think of me. I'm too worried about what, what, well, if I show them this, well, what will happen? Will they, will they get the wrong idea? And the other question just is this. Are we willing to risk being questioned by others for the sake of being Jesus to the broken? You know, what if we were to meet people who feel shame with presence rather than just patronizing them? I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if we began to say, I don't care what so-and-so says. I'm not saying be silly. I'm not saying um, do stupid things. But what I'm saying is I wonder so many times if we overthink everything and act upon little. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, Jesus talks about this idea of separating the sheeps and the goats. And he talks about how part of judgment, which is not a fun thing to talk about. No one really likes to hear about judgment. But so much of it has to do with how we treated others. And in particular, others who are different from us, others who are downtrodden, others who are are kind of the outcasts. And when he asks, when he says things like, uh, you gave me a drink, 
You gave me something to eat. You visited me in prison. You visited me while I was sick. What's interesting is there's no sort of like caveat where, 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 where Jesus says, well, you visited me in prison, but you stopped when you found out that I was this sort of way. Or you stopped when you figured out that I looked completely different than you. It, it, it's this free-flowing, obvious opportunity. That, no, 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 no. Everybody we are to love. We're not to show favoritism. We're not to allow uh, our, our culture to dictate who we are. I fear sometimes that we've allowed our cultural preferences, and I'm as guilty as anyone else, we've allowed certain things that we watch to inform how we view people, which is then in turn internalized into how we engage people in faith even, which is so bad, and we are all so guilty of it, and I am probably the worst. And a big question that I have been left by this story just shaken, because I've read this story so many times, but I read it with a different, fresh perspective this time, was this. I wonder if we cared about image bearers, what would happen if we cared about image bearers more than we cared about our own image? I wonder what would happen if we really cared about people who are created in the image of God, which if you're wanting to know, like going through a checklist of like who that applies to, If it's a person, check. It's everybody. But I wonder what would happen if we were like Jesus and we did that. Now, Jesus continued on. It's more than, this is more than just a story of are we willing to radically love people who are different than us? Are we willing to kind of dismantle different um, systems and societal pressures and prejudices and just love everybody? But he also talked to this woman about this idea of living water. What is living water? There's lots of ways to explain it, but I'll explain it to you in the best way I know how, how it explained to my little three-year-old. Living water quite literally is just Jesus' presence in our life. Living water is just quite literally his grace and his mercy in our life. You know, what's interesting is Jesus talks about it as this this well, this spring that, 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 that boils up. This phrase is actually used in other places in Scripture, but oftentimes it's actually referred to as quite literally a physical stream or, or some kind of moving water. Now, we've all seen water that's stagnant, right, where there's no movement. It's not any water that we'd probably want to get in. It's not probably any water we'd want to drink, right? Because when it's not moving, when it's not growing, it's not continuing to go forward, it gets dirty, it's disgusting. In a lot of ways, it loses its purpose. And so when Jesus talks about this living water, what I think about is this fact that, that, that in the same way that water sustains us, he said, you'll never thirst again. You know, the truth is, we all go to different wells. Some of us, our well is relationships. Some of us, our well is pornography. Some of us, our well is uh, success, it's work, it's status, it's our children. There's so many different things that we go to different wells hoping that that will be the thing that can cleanse us. That will be the thing that can sustain us, that can grow us, that will give us just this sense of satisfaction. And yet every single one of them continues to leave us more and more thirsty. We are parched in our identity. We are parched at the core of who we are because that in which we are trying 
to fill ourselves with that's not Jesus wasn't created to sustain us. It wasn't, wasn't created to clean us, to fill us. It's only that living water, that, that, that relationship with Jesus. You know, water has just this beautiful way of being able to do this thing. And, and the truth is, I think that Jesus comes to us in our mess. Not when we're all cleaned up, but he comes into our mess as the living water. And he wants to cleanse us. He wants to say, in the same way that he finds this woman, he doesn't want to, to, to condemn us. He wants to save us. He doesn't want to leave us in our brokenness. He wants to give us hope. You know what I love is that Jesus asked a lot of questions of this woman who had a lot going on in her life. But he never condemned her. He asked questions and allowed her to come to a place. You know what I've found? And some of you will push back on me a little bit. But I think most people who are living with sin and shame in their life, they already know it. They already know it. They're already feeling broken. They're already feeling unworthy. And the truth is, some of us come with great, great intentions to try to make sure they know the bad things that are happening in their life. And oftentimes we lead with the bad, and we don't even get around to the good. Or we just push them down so much that they don't want to have a conversation. You know, this is, this is a case that many of us should continue to read because we see some great interactions of how Jesus would diffuse situations, how he would have opportunities to have questions or have conversations with uh, people. And some of y'all are going to be like, no, Jesus was a Jedi, and he could just be like, Vush. and I don't buy into that. I buy into the fact that we have the same opportunities to have conversations with people just like Jesus did. But I love this story, and I love this fact that Jesus led with the fact that this woman still had value. She still had hope. So here's the cool thing that happens with this story. What happens is that this Samaritan woman leaves this place, and she goes to her town, and she begins to tell everybody the good news of this man who told her everything that she had ever done and still loved her, still provided hope to her. This woman became one of the very first evangelists of Jesus Christ. There are people's lives, their eternities that were changed because of this woman, this promiscuous woman whom many of us, if they lived in our community, if they worked in our workplace, we would look down upon we would think would have nothing to do with God, became one of the first and greatest evangelists for Jesus. I love this story. I'm going to ask the band to to come back up, and they're going to close us out with one more song. But I hope that you would just receive and that you would hear the simple beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is just this, that grace is for all who will receive it. It's not just for one group of people. It's not just for certain types of people. It's not people who have it all together. But the grace of Jesus Christ that we see displayed on the cross, that we see fulfilled in an empty tomb, is for all who will receive it. And that's the big thing. There's nothing you could do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. But the reality is that grace is something you have to choose to receive.
In Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 4 through 10, it just says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, but it's a gift from God, not by work so that anyone can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. My friends, you are created with so much value. God has so many great and wonderful plans for you. He wants to use you in mighty ways, not to make you great, but so that others would see the greatness of God reflected through you. This morning, I have no idea what everyone's story is. The older I get, the more I realize that we all carry so much baggage. We all have a story, and each and every one of us have a unique story. But I hope you know that you never should buy into the lie that would tell you that your story, that the sins that you have committed or the sins that have been committed to you mean that you cannot experience this grace. I hope you know that there's never this moment where God says, uh, you've, you've, you've ran out of all of my grace. I went to Lake Michigan this week. I love Lake Michigan. And there's something so beautiful about going to a large body of water like that, where you look out and you just see the water. And you can't see anything beyond it. And it just goes farther and farther. And I thought about God's grace. And how His grace is something that is deep like an ocean, like a, like a large great lake. It is so vast and so far beyond that we can't see the end of it. My friends, would you know that God's grace and His love for you doesn't run out? It doesn't run out. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to sing one more song. And while we are singing, my hope and prayer is that this is a moment for you and God to have a moment. Whatever that, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's a conversation with him for the first time ever. Maybe it's a conversation for the first time in a while. Or maybe it's a conversation saying, God, I need you to deal with some of the prejudices that I have in my heart. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you just so much for who you are. And God, I thank you for the fact that you are a God of all people. That God, even when we go back to Genesis, we see that, that, that God, even when you, you created this covenant relationship with the Jewish people, that it was always so that they would be a blessing to all nations, to all people. That the plan always was that, uh, that, that through your people, it would draw others back to you. God, I pray this morning for those of us who maybe as they were hearing uh, your word this morning, that God, maybe it started stirring something in their hearts. That God, maybe it began to, to put cracks in the shame that has wanted to enclose in, in around them. And God, I pray this morning that maybe, just maybe, that your grace would just break through. That the living water of Jesus Christ would just uh, dump upon them. That it would drench their souls. That it would, that would cleanse the shame and the sin off of their life. That they would know that all they have to do to receive you as Lord is just to reach out and say, forgive me, Lord. 
I want to follow your son Jesus. I want to follow his will, his way. Would you forgive me? And would you know that God will forgive anybody and everything when they come to him earnestly? God, I pray for some of us that maybe it's the first time in a long time talking to you. God, I pray that it would be a reunion with a hug, like seeing a parent for the first time in a long time. And God, I I pray specifically for myself and maybe even some others. God, who would confess that, God, I know that there are still prejudices in my heart. That, God, there are still moments where I don't love freely like your son Jesus did. God, I pray that, that you would continue to just chip away the rough edges of my heart. That, God, that you would break down the things that the enemy has placed inside of me that has, has, has tried to uh, create a place where there's not unity, that's tried to place a, a, a opportunity where I don't seek justice, where I don't engage my neighbors who look different than me. God, I pray that you would continue to make me more and more like your son, Jesus. God, I pray that as we sing this song, that our, that our hearts and our ears would be open to whatever you want to say to us this morning. Most of all, would we hear that we are sons and we are daughters, deeply and desperately loved by the God of all the universe. It's in his name I pray. Amen.